you're sort of awake. It's okay. My name is Mike DeLuca. I'm the youth pastor here. Speaking of which, that video, yes, that I took 40 students. So me and my team of leaders took 40 students to, as you saw, thousands of other people filled up that conference room. And what a blast it was. I wanted to show you a quick, quick glimpse of that. That's it's called the Life Conference. Every three years, our denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, we take a bunch of crazy teenagers, and we love on them, and we have an awesome time. One of the things I started to notice as we were there that week was that they, my students, were having a lot of but God moments. Uh, the theme of the week that you saw was Jesus is greater than, and then fill in the blank. And that was a really powerful, powerful theme. And that lent itself to hit a lot of different topics. For instance, and, um, but I'm not significant. I, I felt like that was one that my students was feeling. Like, but I, I'm not significant. And the theme of the day for that conference was Jesus is greater than power, money, and fame. A lot of the things I started to hear again was, but I'm measured by who's with me. Jesus is greater than my followers, but I'm hurt by my pain, and my hurt is so real. Jesus is greater than my issues, but I already know what I want with my life. Jesus is greater than my plans. And so you can kind of see how I was tying this but I into but God moments. Jesus is greater than. And during our time together, uh, as a group, I began to pick up on another but I statement that my students were beginning to feel, and I, I felt the undertone of a lot of our conversations that I was talking with them and what they were going through. And it really, really resonated with me, speaks to my own but God moment, and I think that will also resonate with you and be helpful to you. So it was about six months ago, I was dealing with a situation that made me feel pretty bitter, pretty angry, and, and I felt like I was been wronged, I felt forgotten about, I felt overlooked, and instead of addressing it head on, I do what I always do that you never do, and I just brush it under the rug, and went about my business, and, but secretly, inwardly, I was angry. I was holding on to a lot of unforgiveness and bitterness in my mind and in my heart, and then one day I'm driving along Colby Farm Road down that way. It's a shortcut to get to ShopRite from here. You're welcome. Just changed your life forever. Um, <laughs> I was driving on that back road, and, and I was stuck in thought again about the situation, having fake conversations, conversations that never did or would ever take place. But I'm like, ah, I'm having these mental battles in my brain about it all over and over and over again until this squirrel, and I'm, if you're a squirrel lover, I apologize for what I'm about to tell you, but if you've ever driven on the road and you know the squirrel is like frantically going across, then changes its mind, and then changes its mind again, you're like, ah! right? That was me, and I'm like, move, squirrel! Um, and I hit the brakes, and then, you know, we're doing this little dodge thing, and all of a sudden, boom, boom. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, little dude. But the squirrel was dead. I felt real, okay, I felt bad, all right? I wasn't going for it. I hit the brakes. But I go, I go to work. I'm on my way back to work or back home from work. The squirrel still there in the middle of the road, dead. And as the week goes on, and I take that, I'm a creature of habit when I'm driving. I take the same way back and forth and back and forth, home to work, work to home. See the squirrel, this time becoming food for other animals and it's starting to rot and decay, and I imagine it probably stinks and smells pretty awful. And then one day, 
I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I, I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to my heart, with the thing in mind, the situation in mind, the bitterness, the anger in mind, going, hey, Mike, that's what your heart's like right now. And I couldn't help it, because the Lord just knew, and I just pulled over to the side of the road, and I just wept. Because I realized how much the bitterness, the unforgiveness was starting to overcome me. The anger starting to overwhelm me. It was seeping out in every area of my life, even to my wife, and she had nothing to do with it. And it turned me into a version of myself that I just didn't like. And I went to one of my mentors and told him what was going on and how I was feeling, how I was justified to feel it, how I was right, and on and on in ridiculous detail. And when I was finished, I was expecting him to say, wow, yeah, that stinks. You should feel mad. You should, yeah. He said, Mike, it sounds like you must totally forgive them. And I was like, that's not the answer I wanted to hear. Maybe you didn't hear me tell the story right, so let me retell it in ridiculous, overwhelming, more excruciating detail for you. Here's how I'm right. Here, come on. And he goes, Mike, stop. You must totally forgive them. <clears throat> so why do I tell you that story? Well, because I think it's very possible, maybe, that some of you currently or used to one day, or will one day feel that way too. Maybe you've experienced these thoughts of, but I've been wronged. God, don't you know what they did? Hello? Don't you know I feel forgotten? It's not fair, but I'm the victim. But I deserve an apology. Oh, that's a good one. But I just, I just can't, I can't forgive them. I'm just having such a hard drop in this one, God. They don't even know I'm upset. They don't know I'm hurt. I know I'm probably the one that, you know, needs to be working on this, but I, I just can't forgive. I won't forgive. Mike, stop. You must totally forgive them. So one day I started thinking about Jesus. And I started reading through Romans 5, and I'll share with you this morning what the Apostle Paul writes, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It blows my mind that we have peace with God. And, you know, why is that? I mean, God's a loving God, so why should it blow your mind that, you know, why should peace bother you? Well, yeah, he is, but Paul, Paul addresses our standing before God two chapters earlier, so come quickly with me to Romans 3, starting in verse 10. There is no unrighteous. Shoot. Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Oh, I'm starting to get it now. The, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Oop, that sounds like me. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery marks their ways. Sounds like an unforgiving mic to me. And the way of peace they do not know. So Romans 5.1 is wild to me because I know myself really well. I know just how sinful and broken I am. I'm included in there is no one righteous. Not even one. I, I know how angry I have been and can be, how bitter I've sometimes been, and the list goes on and on and on, and the problem, the problem is me. 
So be careful today not to give an elbow of shame to someone next to you or someone at home. That's, the problem is you. The problem is me. So yeah, it blows my mind that Paul would say we have peace with God, that I am justified just as if I've never sinned, that God looks at us and doesn't see, see us as our sins. He sees me as if I've never, as if you've never sinned. Do you hear how radical and ridiculous that is? And it's by grace through faith, it's absolutely nothing I can do or earn. It's purely grace, getting what I don't deserve. That me and God, we're good. That he forgives me. We got some peace. I have peace with him. And the only time you can have peace or need peace is when there's something wrong. I mean, peace is the absence of conflict. And there is conflict. There is conflict. It's my sin. And the only way to earn that peace that right standing with God is by not earning it at all. It's by the grace of forgiveness. And, and I have that. You have that with God. That's just one verse. Here we go. Verse 2, Romans 5. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Okay, so not only am I justified, now I have access to Jesus? Access? I can now stand in the grace. Continuing verse 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There's that access again. You see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Okay, all right. So there was nothing I could do. I have no power to save myself. It's Christ who died for the ungodly. Paul, what do you mean by ungodly? And I know sarcastically we think, hey, man, sure, I can think of some ungodly people. But don't miss the part right before this when Paul says, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. He's talking about me, and he's talking about you. I mean, I wouldn't do that. I don't do what Jesus does. I'd want, I want the vengeance. But I want vengeance, God. I want to know that they hurt me. And then Paul doubles down on this point in verse 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Yeah, you got that right. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Sure, I'd die for someone who deserved it. Is my foot in my mouth yet? I'd forgive someone who deserved the forgiveness. Mike, wait, you're starting to meddle too much. I'd forgive them if they just asked for it. But I won't until they do. And then Paul brings it home for us, and that's the part that stopped me in my tracks where we'll park today is, but God, but God. He demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Don't miss what's being said here. Don't miss it. Don't just, oh, that's a great Bible verse. We say it all the time. We heard it all before. Don't, don't miss it. Park here with me. I know it'd be easy to die for a good person, but all those ungodly people, those we might consider enemies, here's your but God story. But God demonstrates. He literally shows us, exemplifies for us what it looks like not to just be a person of words and talk, but to do something. He acts on his love for us. Okay, pause. 
before we go any further, we have to quickly, I know we've heard it before, we have to quickly just unpack and explain so we're all on the same page here what Paul is meaning by the word love. And to do that, we go to 1 Corinthians 13. It's patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. I hate that part. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and never fails. Okay, so God demonstrates. He goes, hey, you want some proof I love you? Proof I'm not going to keep a record of wrong, not keeping score, how I don't delight in evil, how I will protect you and never fail you. In fact, I forgive you. Here you go. Here's Jesus. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm really struck by that while, that word while. As I'm God's enemy, as I'm still sinning, he chooses to die for me. He chooses to forgive me. And some of you might be thinking, real quick, what are we talking about here? What is forgiveness? Forgiveness. It's that middle syllable, forgiveness. That's the key. Forgiveness is something we give to those who don't deserve it. It's grace, pure and simple. By definition, I don't deserve it. And therefore, if I deserved it, I wouldn't need it. And God demonstrates his love, his forgiveness, while you're still sinning, still doing all those things, He's still dying for you. You know what kind of forgiveness that is? It's proactive forgiveness. That totally destroys my but I excuses and arguments. He doesn't wait for me to ask him to forgive me. He forgives me while I'm a sinner. It's proactive. And it's the same for you. You don't clean yourself up and then ask for forgiveness. The forgiveness and the grace is while you are still sinners. We have to park about that. We have to go, what? This is huge. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, what you've not done, what you've said, what you've committed to, what you've thought about, God has not reactively, but proactively forgiven you. You might be running and hiding from him. That's what sin makes us do. In fact, ever notice that we do that with one another? Once we, once we sin or once we hurt other people, we tend to hide from them. We leave them unread. We stop greeting them. We avoid eye contact. No, you never do that. Well, even in our own hiding, God proactively came to forgive you and at a great cost. This is who he is. This is what he does. And when you understand that God proactively forgives you and just how much you've been forgiven of, it becomes really, really difficult, and this is why I don't like this, to hold on to our but I arguments. When you fully understand that, it becomes difficult to hold on to those but I arguments. This proactive forgiveness, that, my friends, is how we need, oh man, to treat people. This proactive forgiveness, that person you're holding a grudge against, if you're holding back forgiveness, you need to treat them how Jesus treats you. If you're holding back forgiveness, you need to treat them as Jesus treats you. If you're waiting for them to first approach you, 
you need to treat them how Jesus treats you. If you ask them, hey, remember a time when you did? You need to treat them. You need to demonstrate God's love. You need to forgive them. There is no record of wrongs. Treat them as Jesus treats you. And I am sure at this point in the sermon, all some of you, your minds are shutting off because <laughs> your objections are going crazy in your mind. You don't know what they did to me, Mike. They lied about me over and over again. They said X, Y, and Z about me behind my back. They destroyed my career. You can't imagine what I've been through. If you knew what this has done to my family, you'd be mad too. They deserve to suffer like they made me suffer. I'm going to make them pay. And some of you have had terrible Horrible things perpetrated on you. How do you forgive that, Mike? But I will never forgive those people. I just can't. C.S. Lewis made this remark. Everyone says forgiveness, a lovely idea, until they have something to forgive. So I like to spend the rest of my time talking through the why and the how. Why should I forgive? First, your life could literally be depending on it. I did some research in a study put on by John Hopkins Medicine. Researchers found that, and I quote, there is an enormous physical burden to being hurt and disappointed. Chronic anger puts you into a fight or flight mode, which results in a numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, immune response. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, diabetes, among other conditions. It's like one of those uh, commercials, right? <laughs> However, studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels and sleep, reducing pain, blood pressure, and levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. End quote. Your life could literally be depending on it. Interesting. Secondly, more importantly, why you should forgive. Forgiveness is a biblical virtue. Jesus put it this way, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Just after the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I don't like that verse. The Apostle Paul put it in a slightly different framework in Ephesians 4. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of anger. Get rid of rage, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. I don't like this. And he said something similar in Colossians 3. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Man. When Peter... A man who knew from experience all the importance and value of forgiveness, he summed it up this way, above all, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And I like the quote from Eugene Peterson. He said it this way, love doesn't keep score of other people's sins. If that's not enough to show you that Forgiveness is a biblical virtue. Let me just give you one more. Come with me to a barren outcropping, a place they call Skull Hill. Three men are being crucified up there, and you see that man in the middle? They say, they say, they claim he's the son of God. Take a look at that man in the middle. No one seems sorry for him that day. 
The Romans, they were doing their job. The Jewish priests, they were happy about it. Not a lot of remorse surrounding Jesus on the cross that day. They crucified him. And from the cross, the very first, do you know the very first thing that Jesus said from the cross? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This brings me back, right back to Romans 5, that we just went through. Literally, as they were sinning against him, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. What? He said that about the men who were murdering him. And in one sentence, Jesus sweeps away all of our but I excuses. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, he died for us. So why should you forgive? Your life depends on it. It's a biblical virtue. You're following Jesus when you do. And third, because we desperately need to so that you can be set free. Some of you are not free. This, so that you can be set free. Forgiveness does not deny the pain. It cannot change the past. If you forgive somebody, it doesn't mean you have to become friends with them. Forgiveness is one thing. Reconciliation is something else. But, but forgiveness breaks the cycle of bitterness. It stops you from becoming like roadkill on the side of the road. You can forgive without making, people, without making people confess to you. You can forgive without a restoration. You can forgive when the other person has done nothing to earn forgiveness because forgiveness is like salvation. It's a gift that's freely given. It cannot be earned. If you make them earn it, it's not forgiveness. If you make people earn it, it's not forgiveness. Some of you don't like me this morning. It's okay. But how do I forgive? How? Well, forgiveness is necessary. It's not easy. Don't listen to someone who tells you, yeah, it's easy, just forgive them. You go, no, it's not that easy. If you've been deeply hurt, it's not just a moment. It is a journey. Staying angry, though, that's the easy thing to do. Forgiving is difficult. And so all of you go, yep, amen. Alexander Pope famously wrote, to err is human, to forgive divine. That first part is definitely true. We humans, we get straight A's in messing things up. All on the honor roll of stupid statements, cutting remarks, unkind sentences, broken promises. All of us have been on the receiving end of cruel treatment. We've hurt others. We've been hurt by others. To use biblical terminology, we've sinned and we've been sinned against. Remember, this all ties to Romans 5. While I'm a sinner, Christ died for me. And if I'm trying to follow Jesus, I'm trying to demonstrate that kind of love, that kind of proactive forgiveness towards others. So how do I do that? I think the place to start is first, we need to really understand and own just how much we've been forgiven. Psalm 130 if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, Lord, if you're up there making a mental record of every ugly thought I've ever had, every foolish word I've ever spoken, every unkind thing I've ever done, Lord, if you kept a record of sin, Lord, who could stand? And the answer is no one. 
But with you, Lord, there is forgiveness. Number of words in the Bible used for forgiveness. One means to cover. Another means to lift up, carry away. Another means to pardon, to wipe away the record clean. Another means to set free. If you were to apply that to salvation, God covers our sin. He removes the inner stain. He wipes away a personal record clean. He releases us from our guilt so that you, that we are set free. So here this Sunday morning, I just need to ask you a question. Have you been forgiven? Has your guilt been removed? Not lingering, removed. The only way we can be like Jesus, to be people that proactively forgive others, is we must first know that it starts right here with us. And we need to first be forgiven. This right here is where we first must begin. Yes, I am preaching about forgiveness horizontally to the people around you, and we'll get to that in a moment, toward other people. But you will never get this biblical teaching correct unless, unless you are absolutely certain that you can say, yes, yes, I've been forgiven. My sin's gone. Jesus, you're my Savior. That's the first step in the how. And for some of you, sermon over. You need to sit right there in that, and that's all your brain can handle. That's fine. Just, just there. Others of you continue on with me. Yep, got that mic. What's the next step in the how? I want to know. Do I wait for them to come to me, ask me for my forgiveness? What if they never ask for it or think they need, even need it or want it? What do I do? Well, I keep going back to Romans 5. God demonstrates a proactive relationship of love a proactive level or forgiveness towards us while we're his enemy, while we're against him. So then I have to ask myself, how could I demonstrate that? How? What would it look like for you to forgive people that are actively against you? What does it look like for us to move from but I, people, I'll forgive them if they ask, to but God demonstrates his love for me, so I'll forgive you, people. What does it look like to forgive proactively instead of reactively? Here's a hint. It doesn't mean you go around to everyone and tell them you forgive them for what they've done to you. I forgive you, you big jerk. That's not what we're doing. It's, it's way more internal in your heart. It's way more internal. Let me bring you to the disciple Peter where one day Peter asks Jesus a question. This is Matthew 18. Hey, Lord. Uh, I just imagine Peter kind of going like, hey, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? You gotta love Peter. He always says what the rest of us are thinking, too scared to say. Lord, how long do I gotta put up with this, essentially? And Peter, he doesn't miss the moment. He doesn't wait for Jesus to answer. He goes, up to seven? Does that sound good? Seven. And we gotta give Peter a little bit of credit because that's, that's no small act. What he's suggesting truly is good. To forgive someone over and over and over again, that's, that's pretty good. But Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Why that number? I think Jesus was trying to make the point, it's not about the number. It's about your heart. And then Jesus tells Peter a story. There's a certain man who was a wealthy landowner, 
It's like the modern day Bill Gates, Elon Musk, a man, uh, the super rich of the world. In the story, there was a man like that who had a vast estate and he had somebody working for him who ran up a debt of 10,000 talents. And doing some research, one talent, just one, would equal the wages of one worker for 20 years. One talent, worker for 20 years. So let's say you make 50,000, let's just round it out to 50,000, let's make it easy for us here. 50,000 a year, times that by 20, Anyone quick with that? Spiegel, you quick with that? Nope, no, nope, okay. You get $1 million, 50,000 a year, 20 years, $1 million. That's a good chunk of change, but this story, he owns 10,000 talents. 10,000, $1 million. That's $10 billion. Too slow, come on. No. That's $10 billion. That's just averaging 50,000 a year. So now a boss man, he wants justice, and the worker falls on his knees so he won't be thrown into jail. Give me some time. There'll never be enough time to pay that back, $10 billion. And the master says, go, your debt's forgiven. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. And as the servant is leaving the king's chamber, the boss man's chamber, after having been forgiven this vast amount of money, along comes somebody who owes the servant 100 denarii. It's 100 day wages. So let's just make it easy for us, 5,000 bucks. That's not nothing, but it is nothing compared to $10 billion. And this man who's been forgiven so much, he sees his friend who owes him 100 denarii, $5,000, and grabs him by the throat. Pay back what you owe me! And the man says, give me time, give me time. The same thing that he had just said to the big boss man. And he says, no, and throws him in jail. But the king heard about what happened, and he, he wasn't, was not happy. They call in that servant before the king, and this time there is no mercy. Verse 32 is what it says. Then the master called in that servant, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pack, pay back all he had owed. Here's the kicker. In case you think that that's, oh, that's a nice Bible story. Jesus ta is talking to his disciples. He's not talking to unsaved multitudes. He's talking to disciples, people who claim to follow Jesus. Verse 35, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless... You forgive your brother or sister from your heart. What's he talking about here? It is grace. It's not works. It's not earning it. It is forgiveness. And even if we get it wrong, God, in his beautiful, wonderful, mysterious way, while we were still sinners, he died. Because we can sometimes be, we gotta be honest, we gotta... We can sometimes be like that unforgiving servant. I am like that unforgiving servant. There's a, mount, a mountain of debt, our sins, and, and that stands between us and God. I can't get over it. I can't maneuver around it. And we cry out to God, oh God, would you forgive me? 
And God, in his infinite mercy for the sake of his son and what his son did on that cross, our Father, in the moment, in that moment, boom, forgives us our sins. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he separated us from our sins. And as we leave a Sunday morning church service, we see somebody in the lobby or in the parking lot who's done us wrong, who said something we didn't like, or somebody who's hurt us or somebody close to us, and we grab them by the throat and say, pay back what you owe me. But I can't forgive you. We are like that unforgiving servant. We who have had a mountain of debt, a mountain of sins washed away by God because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are reluctant. Um, I've been reluctant to forgive. So why do we forgive? We follow Jesus when we do. How do we forgive? We own our forgiveness and we release them in our heart. You can always forgive if your heart is in the right place. It's not a matter of word or deeds. Ultimately, forgiveness, it's, that's between you and God. That's between you and the Lord. In essence, it's a decision made on the inside to refuse to live in the past. It's a conscious choice to release others from their sins against you. You can forgive without the other person ever knowing about it. Ever knowing about it. You don't always have to say, hey, I forgive you. You don't always have to say it because forgiveness is a matter of the heart. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, he died for us. This verse is powerful. He's not waiting for you to get your life right. He's not waiting for you to, to, get, for you to get your life cleaned up to forgive you. Even while you are still sinning, even while you and I, we're still kind of enemies with God, even if you're sitting there this morning, if you feel far from God, I don't know who feels far from God, but if you feel far from God because you've got yourself caught up in something, God still sees you while you are in the midst of it. Your sin might be keeping you from God, but your sin is not keeping God from you. God still is proactively pursuing you. He still chooses to die for you, and he keeps no record of it. Forgiveness is not about you. It's not about the person that hurts you so deeply. Forgiveness ultimately is about God. We forgive because God in Christ has forgiven us. God demonstrates his love. He's the example. So then, church, my friends, the question becomes, what are you what are you proactively doing for those that your heart says are your enemies? What are you doing? For those that you've kept a score on, what would it look like? I know this is a hard question. I don't like this question, but I have to ask it out of love, out of love for you, my friends. What would it look like to be proactive in your love towards them? Would you die for them? I don't what would it look like to be like Jesus to them? And I'm sure some of you have been deeply hurt by others. People who have attacked you, mistreated you, abused you, lied about you, walked away laughing. And in response, we've become hard on the inside 
to protect ourselves from any further pain, but that hardness has made it difficult for us to hear the gentle call of the Holy Spirit. So we need soft hearts, and we need a, a lot of courage. The timid will never forgive. Only the brave, only the strong will have the courage to let go of the past. So may God soften our hearts to hear the truth and give us the courage to do the hard thing, to let go of our bitterness, give up our anger, turn away from our resentment, to stop keeping score, and finally, by the grace of God, discover the healing power of forgiveness. Amen. Let's stand as we close.